Today in part five, we're going to talk about this. Ignore negative people. Ignore negative people. We've all had people in our life who think it's their mission to critique us. They think it's their mission to change us into their image. They think it's their mission to tell us all the time what they don't like, what they think we need to change. They'll talk to you about the way you parent your kids. They'll talk to you about the way you dress. They'll talk to you about the way your business runs. They'll talk to you about your ideas or whatever the case. They're not dealing with sins in your life. These are just people and maybe relatives, maybe longtime friends. They just love to somehow tell you what they don't agree with that you're doing. They long, uh, let me say it this way, they um, remind you of how you don't meet their standards for approval and affirmation. Rather than encouraging you, rather than affirming you, they're very quick to try to change you or critique you. They tell you what you're not rather than what you are. They'll tell you what you can't become rather than what you can become. And it's a very important boundary in my life, and I promise it'll change your life as well, if you're willing to simply marginalize people that are negative. All through the New Testament, it says this, that Jesus was a friend of sinners. I hear this all the time. When, when I talk about boundaries, people come to me and say, well, Jesus was a friend with everybody. He was a friend of sinners. Yes, but the sinners were not friends with him. Two weeks ago, I told you the biblical definition for a friend is someone who sharpens somebody else. Yes, Jesus sharpened sinners. Yes, he did. He was a friend of sinners. He sharpened sinners. But Jesus didn't spend the same amount of time with the sinners as he did his disciples. So evidently, Jesus had boundaries. In fact, there were times where people came and asked Jesus for help, and he said, no, I'm tired, I'm hungry. And he just told them no. How could Jesus tell somebody no? He's the son of God. He came to do all good. He had boundaries. Now, there were more than 12 disciples. I think there were 40 or something like that, but there were more than 12. So let's say, there were, let's say 40. There's some number up there, 40 disciples. Out of the 40 disciples, Jesus spent more time with the 12 than he did the 40. Out of the 12, it says in Luke 6, 12, that Jesus spent the whole night in prayer before selecting his 12 inner circle people. Out of the 12, he spent more time with three, Peter, James, and John, than the rest of the, the eight. Jesus had boundaries. Let me say it this way. Jesus spent more resources on the three than he did the 12. He spent more resources on the 12 than he did the 40. He spent more resources on the 40 then he did all the sinners. Why? Jesus had boundaries. And it's very important that we learn the boundary of marginalizing negative people because negative people can steal your divine destiny. Uh, I wish this were a scripture in Proverbs, but it's not. But it says, one bad apple spoils the whole bunch. Now, if you take one rotten apple and you put it in the middle of nine healthy apples, the nine healthy apples will not cause the one rotten apple to become healthier. It's the opposite. In fact, the one rotten apple will spoil the nine good apples six times quicker simply by being in the presence of the rotten apple. And let's look at a, a Bible story that, that proves this to us. Um, in the book of Numbers, the, the, the Israelites, the two million people were next to their promised land. Two million Israelites next to the promised land. Moses sends 12 spies to spy out the land. How many spies? 12. He sent them in there for 40 days. When the 12 came back, two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said this in Numbers 13, 30. Let us take the land. We are well able to conquer it. The other 10 spies said in verse 31, but the other men said the giants are too big. We're not strong enough to attack them. God said in Numbers 14, 24, my servants Joshua and Caleb have a different 
spirit. You can put the scripture up there. It's the next one. There you go. Have it now. Here's my question. How could two church leaders have a different spirit than the other ten church leaders? Because listen, these all be part of the same church. They all served under the same pastor. They all had the same vision. Their goal was to get into the promised land. Yet, And the 12 were all leaders in this church. How could 10 leaders have a different spirit than two leaders when they came from the same church, they were part of the same team? Here's how. In those 40 days that they were spying out the land, Joshua and Caleb stayed in one tent, and the other 10 spies stayed in another tent. I can picture the ten spies in their tent. One of them that night, they say, man, did you see how big those giants were? Another, another, another spy says, man, they were huge. How are we going to beat them? Another one says, he's in his bunk bed. He says, man, I don't know how we're going to beat them. They're way too big. Another one says, we're probably not strong enough. Another one says, you're right, we're probably going to die. Another one says, but God said we could do it, but I don't think we can do it. Other one says, you're right, I don't think we can either. It's going to be impossible. We're not going to make it. Then you got Joshua and Caleb in the other tent, and they're saying things like this. Joshua says, Caleb, did you see those giants? Caleb says, I sure did. They're big, but our God is bigger. What do you think? Joshua says, I know our God is bigger. I saw them part the Red Sea. Of course we can defeat these giants. What do you think? I think I know we can. Let's go back and tell Moses, yes, the giants are big, but God said we could do it, and we're well able to conquer. Joshua and Caleb were willing to sacrifice the camaraderie and the popularity to be able to have a different spirit in their life. And I talked to you a few weeks ago about how spirits are transferable. In other words, uh, whenever they came back and told everybody what happened, two million people, who do you think the two million Christian church people listened to? They listened to the negative spies. Two million good apples were spoiled by ten rotten apples. Because the negativity always trumps in human nature. That's why it's not going to be like you're going to make this negative person positive. That negative person is going to make you negative if you keep hanging around them. Joshua and Caleb were willing to say, you know what, I'm not going to go fishing with you guys anymore because every time I do, y'all are talking about the bad stuff. Y'all are discouraging me. I walk away drained. Joshua and Caleb were willing to sit by themselves in the lunchroom cafeteria instead of with all the popular kids because the popular kids were always very discouraging and bringing them down. They were willing to sacrifice popularity and camaraderie for their promised land. What's so sad about this story is this. A negative Christian can keep you from your promised land. I did not say a sinner. I said a negative Christian. I didn't say a sinner. I said a negative Christian. These were Christians, even though you couldn't have Christians until Jesus, but without giving a history lesson, they were Christians, okay? They were, they were believers, part of the same church. Ten rotten apples spoiled two million people's destiny. Um, in 1 Corinthians 5.11, this scripture is written to church members. So if you're not a member of a church, you can still try to apply it, but it's difficult. But at 1 Corinthians 5.11, it says, I write to you not to associate with anyone who calls himself a, what's that word? Christian and is a person with a foul tongue, railing, abusing, reviling, slandering. Don't even sit down and eat with such a person. Now this scripture, I never forget, when I first read it, I thought, you know what, it's a good Bible scripture, but I mean, I'm a pastor, I'm supposed to hang out with everybody, I'm supposed to help everybody, you know, sit down, da, 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 on. it took me years to finally apply this to my life. There was a, a couple, whenever I first started pastoring, that was uh, incredibly intelligent in the Bible. They knew Genesis to Revelation backwards and forwards, and every time we met with them, every time I sat down and ate, every time we had a leadership meeting, whatever, every time 
They would say a few good things. They would always end the meeting with things they wanted to change and didn't like and wanted me to do differently. And I tried my best for years to please them and gain their approval and get them to accept me and get them to affirm me, and it never happened. I mean, we could have, we could have the greatest church service, the greatest meeting, and the very end of it, they'd say, well, you know what? I didn't like the song y'all chose for the second song. Something they always did. In fact, at one point they told me, they said, I really think God's telling you to start a Sunday night service. You got to start a Sunday night service. Man, they pumped me up, made me feel like that this was what God wanted me to do, even though I didn't think so, and that they could hear from God better. I started a Sunday night service, and guess who did not come? They didn't come. <laughs> it took years till I finally said, you know what? I just, I didn't tell them I can't hang out with you or that. I just finally had to marginalize them. And they went to a different church, and now that pastor's suffering. But anyway, so here's the thing. He really is. Um, <laughs> you don't have to announce your boundaries to the world. You don't need to email your relatives, you're negative, so I'm not responding to you, and your friend, you're negative, so I'm not hanging out. You don't have to do that. But if you walk away from somebody, or you walk away from a phone conversation, or you walk away from an email, and every time you're communicating with that person, you feel tired, drained, or discouraged, it's a giant red flag for God saying, do what my Bible says to do when it comes to this point. Um, I think it's so funny that in, in Mark chapter 3, uh, Jesus was criticized by religious people. They knew a lot about the Bible and the scriptures, so they thought they always had to say so, and because they were knowledgeable in the scriptures, they could do whatever they wanted to, change whatever they wanted to. Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath day, and they criticized him. Now listen, they were okay with him healing a man, they didn't like the day of the week that he did it on. They were okay with someone painting the church. They didn't like the color that was chosen. They were okay with the song that was sung. They didn't like the volume of the song. They were okay with the donuts and bagels. They didn't like the flavor that was gotten. There was always something they didn't like. Here's my point. Some people's intentions are to misunderstand you. That's their intention. They will come into your life or into your business or into your home to, to talk to you about the ways they don't think you're parenting your child correctly. They'll come into your business or church or whatever just to find the things they don't like about it. That's their intentions, and you've got to ignore these people or it'll stop you from your promised land. Albert Einstein's teacher told his father, no matter what Albert does, he'll never be successful. Lucille Ball was told that she didn't have any acting skills and she should try a different profession. Walt Disney's high school art teacher told him he lacked creativity and imagination. Winston Churchill failed the sixth grade and was told he wasn't smart enough to do anything. The common denominator of all these four incredibly successful men and women is this one thing. Every one of them ignored the negative voices. Every one of them. Uh, there's a story that's very, very powerful in Genesis chapter 35. Genesis 35, Jacob's wife, Rachel, was in the delivery process of their second son. And she was in there with the midwife. Uh, things were getting very, very complicated. Um, it was a very, very, um, very, very painful time. In fact, it says in Genesis 35, 16, Rachel suffered hard, hard labor. Now, I was going to say something like this. I have five kids, so I know what it's like to be in labor. But I figured if I said that, all the women would hate me after church and despise me. You negative apples. And so, what I, so here's what I'm going to say instead. I'm going to say this. If you can imagine hard you know, labor nowadays, right? Nowadays, it's not easy. It's not Disney World. Like, it's hard. The Bible doesn't exaggerate. So for the Bible, if it had just said she was in labor, we'd already assume it was very difficult. 
But it didn't just say that. It says she suffered hard, hard labor. And let me tell you, it was the worst pain you could ever imagine. Nowhere in the Bible does it describe a pain like it does this, hard, hard labor. People that got stabbed in the Bible, you know, spears went in their back. They were walking around with a bow and arrow in their arm. Nothing describes, like it says, hard, hard. She was in pain. It was so bad of a, of a pregnancy, so bad of a delivery, that she died while giving birth. In the next scripture, verse 18, it says that Rachel was at the point of death, but with her last breath, she named her son Benoni, son of my pain and sorrow. This woman named her child sorrow and pain because of a negative experience that she had in her life. This little innocent baby who's done nothing wrong and does not deserve this is going to be reminded for the rest of his life that someone else suffered pain and he was a part of it. And he's going to be criticized wherever he goes, every school he's a part of, every job. They're going to say, your name, what happened to you? Why are you called pain and sorrow? I, I didn't do anything. I didn't know. I was just born. And his mom named him after the pain that she experienced. In other words, she spoke negatively of him because of something that she went through. Many peoples are negative toward us because of the pain they've experienced, not because of you. The reason they criticize you has nothing to do with you as something in their heart. The reason they don't like the way you parent has nothing to do with the way you parent as something in their life. The reason they don't like the business, the way you run your business, the reason they don't like the clothes you wear, the reason they always have something to say about your hair has nothing to do with you. It has to do with something inside of them. And so the, the, the midwife calls Jacob in the tent and he's looking like, what's going on? And the midwife says, your wife has died. And she hands Jacob his new son, Benoni, and says, here's Benoni, son of pain and sorrow. Man, whenever Jacob heard that, something rose up on the inside of him. And he said, I will not let my child live the rest of his life knowing he's pain and sorrow. And the Bible says in the rest of verse 18, his father Jacob ran in there and said, his new name is Benjamin, son of good fortune. And Benjamin grew up to be a great leader in his life. Here's why I love this story. God Almighty knew that just one negative comment could have stopped Benjamin from becoming all that he was born to become. One negative comment. And you're so, um, you don't want to hurt their feelings. You don't want to tell them no. You don't want to not answer your phone. What if they stop you from becoming who you were born to be? Life is too short to allow negative people inside of my inner circle. It's too short. It's too short. I got too many great people who are encouraging. I got too many prayer warriors. I got too many friends that I want in my inner circle that I can say, you know what? I don't need the negative people around me. Um, years ago on a military base, Coach Dale Brown of LSU basketball team um, he was speaking at this military base, encouraging these guys. And this young man walked up to him after his speech. And he said, um, and this young man was, was seven feet tall, 250 pounds, and he wore a size uh, 17 shoe. And he walked up to Dale Brown. And he said, listen, I want to play basketball. Um, you know, I, I need your help. What's going on? And, and Dale Brown said to him, he said, well, where do you go? 
what, what are you doing at the military base? What, what field are you in here at the military? And the boy said, I'm not. I'm here visiting my dad. I'm only 13 years old. And he told Coach Brown, he said, um, I want to join the basketball team at school, but I can't dunk it. I can't jump. And when I run, my legs get tired too quickly. So Dale Brown got his address, and he mailed him a training program to help the boy strengthen his legs and his endurance. Three months later, Coach Brown got a letter from the kid. It said, I did everything you asked me to do. I spent hours in the gym, hours in the weight room, but my basketball coach just cut me from the team. He said, I'm too big, I'm too slow, I'm too clumsy, and I'll never be able to play basketball. Coach Brown wrote him back and said, if you're supposed to play basketball, keep practicing, keep working, and God will get you where he wants you to be. Now, here's my point. That young man had a choice to make. Am I going to listen to this very professional person in my life who knows me, who's been around me, but says I'm too clumsy, I'm too big, I can't play? Or am I going to listen to this guy over here who says if I just keep practicing, God will get me where he wants me to be? He had to make a decision. Am I going to listen to this person whose approval I want so bad Or am I going to make it into my promised land? Because sometimes you can't have both. You can't have everybody like you and agree with you and make it into your promised land. This kid kept practicing, kept doing his best, kept doing everything he was told to do. And my point is this. Just because someone is smart or successful doesn't mean they know what they're talking about in your life. It's very important. when When this happens, I always think of this. When somebody that's successful and knows a lot about the Bible tries to tell me to change the vision God's given me, whatever, here's what I think about. Professional, smart, rich, intelligent people built the Titanic, and it sunk. Amateurs built the ark, and it floated. I always remember that. So this young man kept on practicing. He graduated high school, and he told Coach Brown, he said, I want to play for your team at LSU, but I can't shoot free throws. Coach Brown wrote him back and said, you don't have to shoot free throws to play for my team. Come on and play. Here's my point. Where would Shaquille O'Neal be? if he had not ignored the negative voices in his life. Where will you be 10 years from now if you're willing to have this boundary starting today? If you're negative, I love you. I'll meet you at church, but other than that, we're not going to hang out. I'm not going to read your email. I'm not going to answer or respond to your text. I'm not going to listen to the negative voices in my life. 